Earlier today, President Trump signed an executive order on policing that would encourage better police practices and establish a database to keep track of officers with a history of excessive use of force complaints. Unfortunately for the president, he mistakenly signed it because he thought it was an order that would guarantee McDonald's would offer the McRib all year long. <laughs> Justin Trudeau announced that Canada will extend the U.S. border closure. Uh, at least I think that's what he said, uh, while the wind gently ruffled his gorgeous locks. It was President Trump's birthday on Sunday, so everyone, raise a glass. A tiny glass of water you can't manage a single sip from without using two hands. <laughs> Taylor Swift says villains don't deserve statues, uh, though it's unclear if she is referring to Confederate generals or Kim Kardashian. And finally, it was President Trump's birthday on Sunday. It's a particularly tough day for Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr. Because what do you get the man who already ruined everything? The Trump Report starts now. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Welcome to the Trump Report. Glad to see everyone joining us live in the chat. Uh, I'm Christian Blatt, joined by my fellow mirth maker, Tamara Brown. Mirth. <laughs> My favorite moment in Independence Day is when Will Smith says, Welcome to Mirth. Also joining us, Chelsea Galicia. Hello there. And Scott Moore, just very disappointed you trimmed that beard. I really <laughs> I, thought I, I thought looking, your quarantine beard was gonna end up like a looking great. Country. I like I, I like whatever you've got going on. Look, I like what it was getting crazy though with my well, hair and I haven't had a haircut, haircut in five months. That doesn't stop me. And uh, making his triumphant return to the Trump Report, Al Greg. Al, thank you for joining us today. What up? What up? Glad to be here, guys. And I'm not at all disappointed in your beard. I'm glad that you have kept it the way you have. You know, uh, so uh, obviously, as always, uh, so much to talk about. Um, I wanted to kind of start with. You know, last week we we talked a lot of big picture stuff, and I do want to focus on some of the political ramifications uh, that we're we're looking at. But uh, what I did want to make sure that we we started off talking about, and uh, Al, I know that uh, you know in the past we've had you on, and something that I know that you're interested in, and you've really kept a lot of track of the way that this issue has progressed is something that I was trading messages with you and I was surprised we haven't heard much more about reparations. You feel like that ought to be a bigger part of the conversation. So I kind of wanted to give you a moment to uh, start off with that and then we'll go from there. <clears throat> Definitely. And I think the reason it's not a bigger part of the conversation is because the Democrats have, you know, consistently downplayed it, deflected and mainly given lip service to it. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, Last time that that uh, committee meeting uh, headed by Cynthia McKinney, she was uh, uh, she was overseeing uh, the bill, the discussion and went, it didn't really go anywhere. You had brought in a bunch of guest speakers and that was all the end of you heard of it. You know, this year you've seen more talk of it since a lot of the, uh, the violence toward uh, unarmed black men. And you've seen that discussion come up again. The former founder of uh, BT proposed 14 trillion dollars and even the California Assembly here where we're at. They've uh, devised their own bill and it, and it actually passed to get reparations for descendants of slave for each, uh, for each you know, family member. 
But if you notice when it reached the, reaches uh, the tops of the Democratic Party and it was uh, put forth to Joe Biden, Joe Biden said, well, we can't really talk about reparations for blacks unless we start talking about reparations for everybody else and, and Native Americans. And um, uh, those, are, those are basically his words I'm, uh, I'm paraphrasing. And it's just a consistent thing that you see all the time. Last time it came up, uh, uh, AOC was, uh, when we talked about reparations for descendants of slaves, she's like, okay, well, then we have to talk about it, you know, for all people of color and, you know, for people of, uh, and, for, and for Latin Americans. And all those things have a validity, but the point is they never want to just address it in and of itself. If reparations were paid to Japanese Americans, and that's what this California bill will be based on, then it should be specifically paid to uh, African-American descendants of slave. And so you see a lot of this, you know, deflection, sidelining, and, and it rubs me particularly the wrong way because it was black people that saved Joe Biden's political ass. We all know that Bernie Sanders was kicking his butt and he was down and out, but it wasn't until South Carolina where uh, the black community mobilized and they made the uh, pivotal uh they made the pivotal impact, which usually always happens. Black people are the are the most consistent and disproportionate base of the Democratic Party. And I feel like they're constantly getting uh, taken advantage and given lip service. Right. I think there's a there's a lot to digest in what you said there. I'll sort of uh, work backwards. It's uh, I think it it actually it says more about the Republican Party and sort of their approach towards reaching out to you know people of color in general but specifically to black americans that it's still like oh yeah democrats aren't great and boy they do take us for granted but you know republicans really don't care about us i don't know i don't want to put words in anybody's mouth but i i feel that that's sort of the impression you get that it's just it's like what we you know we're gonna vote we want to vote for somebody who can actually win we're not gonna you know go for some of these fringe candidates and I, I do think that that's a, it's a consistent problem. You have plenty of people, commentators on the right, who point out that Democrats will take you know, specific voting blocks for granted, but their party doesn't do anything about it either. You know, I mean, and certainly the last few weeks have shown that uh, instead of taking a moment where, like, you know, this could be some really good outreach for, look, not at the national level, let's be realistic, but you know, you could certainly, you know, on the state level and, and even in the House and Senate, but it's, we're just not seeing that. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but uh, what, what do you think about sort of both sides of that, Al? I think um, you've always nailed the dilemma. We always find ourselves every year between a rock and a hard place. And I actually uh, uh, might liken it to the, uh, what, uh, what progressives might feel, true progressives or Bernie Sanders supporters might feel, you know, when they're put with the put forth with the option where Bernie, okay, what is he going to do? Is he going to get out the race? He's going to endorse Biden. Well, are they going to get anything for their support? And they feel alienated because they don't. And personally, I'm of the opinion at a certain point you can't keep giving your support. Trump, obviously, it, it's a it's a no brainer. I would never vote for Trump. But what I would say is I would open the conversation to anyone left or right who was open to discuss tangibles and specifics, i.e. starting with, with reparations. But I guess I toss that back to you guys. Me personally, I think a message has to be sent, but I'm wondering how a lot of you guys out there feel and yourself uh, about, about progressives, about basically kowtowing to you know, the lesser of the two evil instead of maybe for once holding our ground and extracting some real uh, substance. Yeah, well, let me uh, throw that question to uh, Chelsea in a moment. Uh, Al, if you can tilt your uh, camera up, we're missing out on uh, a little bit of 
look, I know you have a beautiful face. We did an entire <laughs> season of Better Call Saul together, but uh, I want I don't want our audience to be deprived of it. So thank you for okay. fixing that. So Chelsea, uh, but back to the issue at hand. Uh, your thoughts on what uh, what Al was just discussing? Al, I am so with you. I think reparations are part or should be part of this conversation and more than just lip service. I think the hard part for some people is articulating the connection. What does reparations, what does slavery have to do with uh, the police brutalizing black men and women, you know, and killing them? If you know history and you understand cause and effect down the years, it's very logical. But until more people, I think after, perhaps maybe, after everyone's done reading White Fragility and those important books, that, that they will then come around to see that decisions and mistakes that we made generations ago are still affecting us today. And that we can't just say, you know what, that happened so long ago. I mean, there was a, a, a comedian that was joking about it, how we tell black people, that was a long time ago, get over it. But then 9-11 happens and it's like, never forget. And then, and then the comedian was like, you know, on 9 11, next time around, I'm going to say all buildings matter. Anyways, <laughs> but the, the, the point of it is, is that we can't let the fact that something happened a long time ago mean that it doesn't affect us very much today. And that if we mean to, uh, to correct our wrongs, that we have to go back and acknowledge them and atone for them and fix them in the present day. And I, I just think that not enough people understand it. I think the reason that it's lip service is because the, the force for it has not come from the ground up. And we need as many white people as have been out protesting, really understanding it in their hearts and their minds, the connection between reparations and making things better between law enforcement and black Americans. Uh, I just think that that connection is missing for too many people and it's not an easy one to make. And I don't know if there's a great, you know, book or resource, you know, that we can point people towards that explains it very well. Um, but I think that's where we should start. I, Chelsea, do you mind if I jump in and Christian just to address Please, absolutely. Those, no, 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 those specifics? Um, there's several movements which are focusing on uh, reparations specifically for descendants of American slavery. We talked about that one last time, Jonathan, on your show, ADOS, specifically for American descendants of slavery. And, and that's a hashtag, but they have a website also for FBA, foundational black Americans, referring to uh, black descendants of slavery. And it doesn't mean that everybody else doesn't deserve, you know, their portion of what America's done wrong, but specifically what, uh, what Chelsea was referring to is that it's been a lineage. The, the modern day police department was based on the slave catchers. I hope, I know, I know a lot of people may not know this, but they were the Negro codes. After reconstruction and the slaves were freed, there were actual Negro codes, how to enforce and keeping black people in line, in their neighborhood, enforcing the same slave catcher mentality that continue on through Jim Crow all the way down in Los Angeles. I'm born and raised in LA. I remember the 1992 riots, we called it the uprising, where Daryl Gates 
he specifically recruited officers from the South. So there was, a, and there's a, there's basically, there's a clear line you can see from slavery to discrimination to how the black population is, is uh, policed. And I guess uh, I just wanted to throw one thing out there as far as um, we were talking about grassroots. Okay, let's talk, there's a lot of, there's so many things that are political and problematic. Like we would think like Black Lives Matter would be the perfect way to address these, right? Grassroots. Well, a lot of people don't know there's a difference between the Black Lives Matter uh, struggle and movement and that saying, which I think all of us can get behind and we see the validity in it, but versus Black Lives Matter LLC, which is not funded and ran by a black company. It's it's largely funded by the uh, so uh, Open Society Foundation, and you guys can do your research on that. And tends and actually a lot of their donations go through um, Act Blue, which is a Democratic don which supports Democratic candidates. So a lot of what you get from the quote Black Lives Matter and where all these donations go to, they don't go to Black people. They'll go they'll go to to uh, Democratic progressive causes. And I'm down to the whole thing with defunding the police when you get down into the nomenclature, it's there's a very big disconnect specifically with the Black Lives Matter as it exists as an organization. And, and I think that that's one of the places we should start at some point. I mean, maybe is the conversation, you know, in defunding the police or refunding our communities that that also includes reparations. Um, you know, I'm behind you. I, I, I hope that that it becomes um, part of it. I, I, I'm not sure if, if we Americans are able to hold so many concepts in our minds and stretch ourselves that far that fast, because I think, I mean, sadly for most Americans, the fact that police departments go after black men and women disproportionately is like new to them or it's new to like getting into their 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 hearts and minds. So not their experience. Um, we just have to keep talking about it. I think we just have to keep talking about it, keep making the connections. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what else, what, what, right. what do you suggest that we do besides talking about it? Um, well, I think we need to get back the conversation back to tangibles. And as there's this whole other hashtag that goes on that was put down by the a creator of Foundational Black Americans. It's called Tangibles 2020. And it was kind of what Charlemagne the God alluded to when he was uh, when he was on the phone, when he was on the interview, that big one that went viral when uh, Biden says, well, yeah, if you ain't black, you ain't voting for me. That perfectly demonstrates his attitude, the way he takes his voting block, his, his most loyal voting block for granted. And Charlemagne's main point was, yes, but you know, what are you going to do for us now? What are you going to do for us lately? And the problem is, is that I think we need to keep the pressure up, not just uh, specifically on our, our congressmen, but also on these governors. For instance, Cuomo's doing one thing that's really good as far as the police. He's far as he's saying, if they don't enact these reforms, they won't get funding. So we got to keep the pressure on our governors and our mayors to not to uh, make sure that these race these organizations that help perpetuate racism or not, whether they do or not, they don't get the funding. And I think that's one of the things that's uh, behind the uh, defund the police, kind of starving the police, me, uh, starving the beast. Me personally, I'm a big fan of the unions because the un police unions have been the biggest blockade uh, and this whole blue wall of silence to the making changes and reforms. But I think also, again, I, I really want to pump out these organizations like ADOS, uh, uh, Foundational Black Americans, FBA, and Dr. Claude Anderson. These guys have been writing on reparations and spe with uh, specific 
uh, uh, specific points that need to be addressed for each family. This is how much goes for each family for reparation. It's not a problem. Records are there, are proven way back to slavery, not just uh, what people own slaves were families, but what companies specifically? You know, you can hold these companies that are that are still liquid today. And I think it's just not getting caught behind again, like like the rhetoric and uh, the sloganism of a of a Black Lives Matter, which is a good slogan, but you gotta you gotta get down to tangibles, uh, brass tacks, and we gotta hold these people accountable. And sometimes uh, it's just, it is overwhelming because I don't feel like- right. uh, Yeah, I mean, I think, it, it, you know, it's sort of a, a, a quick way to encapsulate it is like, don't just tell us that Black Lives Matter, show us what you're doing that reinforces that you really do support the idea. Uh, Tamara, obviously uh, not to take away from the idea of, you know, the importance of reparations, but uh, to me, I find it to be such a political response to say, well, if we give it to you, we also have to give it to Native Americans, which, by the way, y- you should. Uh, and Japanese Americans got it for a very specific reason, because they were rounded up and made to, you know, live in barracks, essentially. I mean, people who stayed there refer to that, you know, the Japanese internment is basically like living in a concentration camp. I know that there's a, a connotation to that from World War II, but I mean, that's essentially, if you look at what those were. So the it just seems to me, Tamara, like such a political response yeah. to say like, oh, well, yeah, but if we give it to you, then all these other people who deserve it have to get it as well, you know? I think what you just said is is the way to go about it is to is to point towards a specific reason um, uh, to, to say this reparation is specifically for, I, I you know, I, however it should be worded to to illustrate that (laughs) yeah i even think but but say descendants of slavery is even still too broad because the disconnect i've been really attempting to have conversations with people who are the all lives matter people and really attempting to have a gentle conversation to show somebody what they are not understanding and the biggest disconnect that that people who are are opposed to black lives matter is that they they seriously do not think that black people have any um disadvantage that other people don't have they think everything's fine now there is no racism i've had a hard life too so to for that person to accept the idea of reparation um it's just impossible because they don't understand why it would be needed or deserved. So to point to a specific, um, even even more specific than saying slavery, but if there was a way to draw it towards, um, you know, like Chelsea was saying, how how police brutality is a direct result of what has happened systematically through the centuries, um, somehow phrasing that in a some palatable, hashtagable way to say that reparations for what we have suffered at the hands of police from from our historical oppressed uh past and i i you know i don't know that's a terrible way to put it but what i'm saying is it needs to be pointed to something more specific um and as far as you know politicians who have been saying uh if that then what you know well then we need to give it to this person and this person and this person great but let's start Let's start with African-Americans. Let's put right. it into place first, and then we can address everybody else that also deserves reparations. And and Scott, I think an important part of what uh, Tamara just said is she's 
gently having conversations with the all lives matter people that, you know, she may or may not know. And to me, I think that it's obviously the gut reaction is uh, I'm going to block these people. I'm not going to follow them. Like people in your real life, I might not be friends with anymore. Is it, maybe better to like, okay, well, let's try and talk about why, what it is that you don't see. And look, there are, like, there's people who are certainly lost causes. You can't have a conversation with them, but I do think it's worth at least trying to figure out why do you see it this way? And why is it not wrong to you to put a little bit more important in, uh, importance on this? And I kind of wanted to talk to you to kind of look at it, Scott, from the the political ramifications of this issue, sort of you know, basically the way that Republicans and Democrats are are both uh, handling it. And what have you seen that has been good from a political standpoint, you know, people that have handled it well, and I, I don't even know if I need to ask you where we've seen responses that could use some work, but uh, just uh, looking at it politically, uh, give us your thoughts on, on all of this. Well, you know, the, the political side of it is, is, difficult because it's a, it's a very fine line between, you know, pandering and virtue signaling and actually really wanting and working towards the change. So uh, I always take it with a grain of salt when I see politicians say certain things. And I do agree with what I was saying that, you know, Biden really owes everything that he has right now to the black vote. If it wasn't for them, he would not be where he is. He would have been out. Um, and so it seems only fair that he really should be really in the forefront of this and not just saying a lot of political things here and there and, and paying lip service. And it's the here and now that we should be focusing on these issues because they're brought to the forefront. And it goes beyond uh, the police brutality. Uh, it, you know, Part of the reparations are because systemically uh, Blacks have been held back um, in jobs and being in education and being able to make you know good salaries and healthcare. And that's why we've had some of these bigger issues now too, because COVID has been affecting the population a lot higher. Um, so you, it's across the board beyond police brutality. You're talking about livelihoods, jobs, healthcare, all of that. Um, but I will say to Tamara's point, I've also been talking to uh, a lot of my conservative family because my whole, my dad's family's from the South, like born and raised, very Southern, you know, and I've had a lot of talks with a lot of those conservative family members, at least trying to, I don't want to say educate because that's not the right word, but at least trying to talk to them and in a way also instead of getting right back into attack mode trying to figure out where they are coming from as well because uh hopefully if we get right into attack mode then everyone's going to shut down and we're not going to move forward it's i have to say it's been very difficult um it's very frustrating and in fact i have some friends that i talk to that are um you know on the other side of the aisle too and i, I just see them with the post about the protests and all that as well about, you know, people not being a safe distance, but then people complaining about restaurants with people not being a safe distance. And it's like, you guys aren't even understanding the reason for the protest if you're now comparing that versus, you know, going to a restaurant and, and you know, not being able to sit next to someone at the table. So it's been a difficult process for me. And I, I have to say, I haven't seen the good side of, of politicians really coming out. And I think reparations is a whole other can of worms. We've talked about it on this podcast. We had a whole discussion about That's it uh, several months ago. Yeah, and we were talking about that and like, what is the next step and how can you define it? And I think a typical politician is too scared to get out and actually say what they really think. And that's a shame because at this point, this is when they should be able to speak up and say, this is what we think at least a starting point for reparations looks like. 
and yeah. nobody wants to take that. And I and I think what happens too much in politics is now we're focused on this, and then everyone's gonna get distracted by the next thing, and then they're just gonna, you know, push it back into the back of the room there. So I think this is the time to really hold these politicians to the to the forefront. Say what are some of the things that you would do? Let's start the discussion. How would reparations look? And let's start keeping that dialogue going instead of just brushing it off and then hoping you know it'll go away uh, down the road and they can focus on the next issue right. that they want to focus on I mean, so yes it's definitely a challenge when we don't hear cory booker talking about this because he i've heard him talk about mm -hmm. i haven't heard him speak at all um and so when those leaders don't speak these conversations fall out of our memories pretty quickly Chelsea, can I give you the perfect example of Cory Booker? Cory Booker was on The Breakfast Club with Charlemagne, the, the same uh, radio host who interviewed Biden. And he said, well, Cory, well, what are you going to do about a Black agenda? Tell me about a specific Black agenda. It is very cringy. Cory started laughing. And he's like, well, uh, black, uh, as a Black American, we've been discriminated against. But he takes it back to kind of like this Obama language of lift all boats. If we lift everybody, if we lift the entire economy, and then as soon as that, he got such a backlash online from Black Twitter, he, he tried to get behind this lynching bill. Same thing, Kamala Harris was kind of caught with their pants down, and there's been so many Democrats who see their political career as tied to the uh, Obama strategy, which is great, you know, let's all get along, we all make it together. But until you start addressing Black people specifically, instead of saying minorities, all minorities deserve it, but for instance, it's, uh, yeah, that my brother's keeper. It was it was meant to uh, help out uh, all the young brothers that were getting shot in gang violence in Chicago. But if you look at the my brother's keeper bill, it goes. It's really it supports. It's it's meant for all minorities. Now I don't know many Asian Americans or Native Americans that are having problems with their communities or getting shot or even if they exist there. It goes to minorities, which also includes women, white women. So things need to be specific. But we. That narrative is such a such a thing, a minority, a people of color thing that I think black people oftentimes are the first ones through the door, like the crash test, crash test dummies, and then we ended up getting shafted. So you see, there's a lot of black new media, which I'm a part of, I think, where they're really holding these guys accountable. And right now we're getting lip service, but hopefully pretty much we can get all those, all the all the lift off boats people, uh, you know, out of here at some point. Well, moving beyond uh, lip service, uh, to you in particular, Al, because you know of how much focus you have on this issue, if if, if the Democratic convention, however it's held, if they don't spend a considerable amount of time on reparations, uh, how disappointing is that for you personally? And what do you think that that says about them, as we already said, taking the Black community for granted? Yeah, um Unfortunately, I'm already anticipating that, and uh, that's just kind of my cynical nature. And I live in California, so even if I were to, quote, withhold my vote, which is something that Diddy said, which is ironic, but he may not be even the person to say, I'm going to withhold the black vote till we get tangibles. But I think I, I agree with his, uh, his sentiment. It wouldn't make so much of a difference because somebody like Biden would still get elected anyway. But I think we, at some point in time, they need to see the gap in enthusiasm. You can count on the black vote for so much, but you know, let's say if it's a rainy day, it's COVID, uh, Joe Biden has the least enthusiasm out of any Democratic candidate. And I think at a yeah. certain point, you know, you'll see people's, uh, particularly black voters, stop showing up in such large numbers. And especially uh, in these states where it made a difference, we saw that with Hillary Clinton. And so perhaps that's the only way uh, the Democratic Party 
will get the message in it. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because nobody wants Trump, but if nothing changes, nothing changes. Well, uh, and and sort of to that end, you know, months ago, Joe Biden said that he would pick a female running mate. And, how you know, look, obviously you're going to make that decision based on a number of factors, but just gut reaction. If he picked a, if he picked a white woman as his running mate, do you feel like it's a missed opportunity or can somebody come to mind where you're like, well, you know what? you know, Elizabeth Warren, it would make sense or, you know, sort of what, what are your thoughts on, on sort of that selection process, which by the way, we're not that far off from it's the middle right. of June. Right. Very soon we're going to know who his running mate is, but anyway, uh, just uh, your thoughts. Out. No, I think, I think you pointed out something where Joe Biden played it has painted himself in a political corner because, because of the incident, I think that happened on MSNBC where he clearly said, you know, if you're not black, you're voting for me. I think the pressure S you know, for him to get a, a black woman in particular, and you see people like uh, like uh, Mayor Lance Bottoms from Atlanta, and uh, I guess uh, Representative, uh, I want to say her name is Dempsey. Uh, from oh, Florida. Demings. Yeah, about Demings. Demings, yes. So I think he's kind of painted himself into a political corner where black women are actually like the most, they vote uh, at a higher proportional rate than black men. So I think he would get some severe backlash you know, from the, from his base if he didn't, but it's, 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 it's the typical part. It's the typical thing that's wrong with this two party system, because uh, if you, if, even if you do try to apply the pressure, people from the inside who have a vested interest in working for the democratic party, black or white, they're going to defend their territory and they're going to fight tooth and nail against you. Yeah. And I think, look, I, I, I think that there can't be, I, I don't think she was a, a good pick regardless, but I think there couldn't be a more, uh, Tone deaf gets thrown around a lot. If if he were to choose Amy Klobuchar, you know, from Minnesota, who has, of course, you know, not done anything in terms of uh, police reform. I mean, you, I don't have time to go into her track record. I think that would just be like, okay, so you just missed the point entirely. Uh, Tamara, what do you think about in terms of Joe Biden making this selection and how challenging it is? Because I'm not saying that there wouldn't be yeah, there, look, there's no shortage of non-women of color that would be a great vice president, not to mention a great running mate. But talk a little bit about that challenge as you see it. I bet a $100 that it's going to be Kamala Harris. I mean, I am, it's it's going to be, uh, uh, I, 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 well, we can we can all decide something? we can all decide where Tamara donates that hundred dollars. Uh, no, 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 no. no. But, I, I'm not saying that that's the, it's it's. I'm not saying that I want Kamala to be. The, no, no, the I, I I know I that's not what you said. That that's. I, by the way, I, I'm not putting money forth, but I, I don't I don't think it's. Look, there are definitely people in his campaign who are like, well, she's a black woman and she didn't like you, so that shows something. So let's go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead with that. Um, you know, Stacey Abrams, um, Bottoms, I, I, I just guarantee it, it is definitely going to be a, a black woman that he chooses as his running room, running mate, I have no doubt. Um, because it would just be absurd if he didn't. Like, Amy Klobuchar is the, it would be a terrible, it just doesn't make any sense, even for Joe Biden. Uh, Scott, uh, politically speaking, uh, do you think that Biden really needs to pick, first of all, certainly a woman of color, but it should really be a, a black woman in particular. What do you think? What are the, what are the pros and cons of that? Just, you know, just from a strategy standpoint. 
Well, I think that um, picking a woman of color was probably already at the top of the list um, to begin with. Um, I think Kamala Harris has always been at the top of the list. Um, and I have always said, and she was, Val Demings has always been sort of my choice just because I'm from Orlando. And I, I think bringing in somebody with a police background is also kind of a unique choice, although she's not known as well nationally. But if you were to look just from a strategic standpoint, you know, there is pros and cons with Kamala Harris. Uh, you know that she's coming from a safe democratic spot. So a, a senator that would replace her would be a Democrat. But at the same time, there is baggage to say you're also from California. And I still think, you know, for a lot of people that are moderate Democrats in, in Southern states and other places look at California as, you know, crazy progressive liberal. Um, and I think also her record is gonna come up from her attorney general days and that could potentially be an issue. So that that's going to be a fine line. Although I still think she's like Tamara, I still think she's probably in the top one or two. Um, just in in the no, I'm not saying me personally. I'm saying just in general, as far as the vetting process goes, uh, Chelsea. But but I right. think you know that that strategically, these are going to be some of the challenges because if they are going to be looking for uh, a woman VP candidate, they're going to have to drill down a little deeper and really look at a lot of these other issues um, and really see how that's gonna play out with everybody. You know, that's what they're doing right now and doing all the internal polls and seeing how you're gonna get enough of the democratic coalition out. And so strategically, they're gonna be walking on a couple of tight ropes to figure out who is gonna be that best uh, woman candidate to bring out the most in the Dem democratic coalition. Right. Well, Chelsea, even our audience that only listens to the audio version of this, they could hear you shaking your head. <laughs> I don't think anybody missed it. But uh, so, Talk a little bit about why to you specifically Kamala Harris would be problematic, but also this idea of, you know, the, you could make sort of the, I'm using air quotes, the rock star pick of somebody like Elizabeth Warren that a lot of people wish was still running for president. But uh, talk a little bit about just your thoughts in general on this selection process. All right. Elizabeth Warren, not VP, Elizabeth Warren for Senate majority leader. I'm going to get it tattooed on my forehead. You know, you'll be able to do that next week. Hopefully. Get that tattoo in California next week. That's so. right. So I expect we'll to see, see it on Kamala, show. I do too. Kamala Harris, no, for the reasons that Scott said. Um, I, 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 my personal favorite had been Val Demings, but, and now I don't understand why, and I guess I kind of understand why. People think that her police background is a negative about her, that she is a cop and that she's maintained her, you know, she chose the side of cops. And I guess there are some people who are like, you're either on the side of cops or you're on the side of black Americans. You can't be both. And um, I think that's unfortunate. Um, so I, that personally, I think that that would be the best um, idea, especially um, Florida, a much better state than California to have somebody for VP come from. So um, that's who I'm personally hoping for at the moment. That's mine too, but we'll right. see. But again, that's, <laughs> but that's Florida pride. That's who you're for. hoping for, but who do you think it's going to be though? If well, it's Kamala Harris, poor choice. If it's Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to scream. <laughs> well, I think, uh, Al, that uh, there's obviously you touched on it briefly. The alternative towards Joe Biden and whoever he picks 
is four more years of Donald Trump. And there's a lot of uh, very blatant things that people are able to point to. But uh, when you and I were trading messages uh, the last couple of days, there are these these dog whistles that are, look, he, despite what he says, when he sees a, a poll, Scott and I were talking about this on our email thread, when he sees a poll from Rasmussen, which is his favorite poll, that shows him trailing Biden by that degree. That wasn't the 14.1, but that one, what, what do you remember was what that 11, was? 11, it was 11, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say 14 because I knew that was wrong. So that, so, he's, so he sees that. So he's like, well, who are the people that are definitely like, there's the people that I want to be my base. And then there's the people that I have to pretend that I don't want to vote for me, but I need to vote for me. So he holds this, uh, he schedules this rally uh, in in Tulsa, and that's problematic for two reasons. One, because it was scheduled on Juneteenth, which was June nineteenth, and also Tulsa, which I, I I admit we talked about this on the show. I had no idea about that. I don't even know what you call that 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 race riot. All those white people that went into the the rich neighborhood, the attack in, on Black Wall Street, Tulsa, at, yeah, Black Wall Street, and it took the the hbo show watchman based on a comic book for me to even know that that happened i had no idea about that and it, so tulsa i don't think is an accidental choice yes you're going to pick a state where they're going to let you hold a large event with twenty thousand people uh apparently begrudgingly giving out giving out masks and uh and hand sanitizer to the people attending but come on i mean you know that's like giving out free condoms at Coachella. Nobody's going to use them. <laughs> and, it, uh, and it shows how little he ha- regard he has for his supporters, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Trump, like, jump in and respond to the whole yeah, talk. No. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we've, we've seen Trump perpetually uh, speak out of both sides of mouth to, to try to uh, elevate the dog whistle. We saw it when he tweeted, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Oh, I didn't know that was... Uh, you know, something that was used by famous, you know, racist legislator, you know, during the civil rights era, you know, when they brought the dogs out, then he, but he, he actually included dogs in one of his, in one of his tweets. And the same thing goes for this. We're talking about whether he's conscious of it or whether his staff is, well, somebody is over there. Somebody knows it was Juneteenth over there. Somebody knows in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the most uh, thriving black community, which I think you would get like in, in uh, what we saw in Black Wall Street, something that you would get in reparations, you know, something that's self-sufficient. And that was something that was attacked and burned down. Trump's people know that, whether he doesn't know it or whether he doesn't know it, somebody's educating him, they're tweeting him and his base knows it and they get the dog whistle and they hear it so he can get there and speak out of both sides of his mouth, how I'm for justice and peace, but you know, I'm for law and order, you know, here in Tulsa. He, he, he's the master at that. He's, he's dumb, but he's not stupid. I, I think hundred uh, percent that, that 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 should be on the bumper stickers. That actually, what the red hat should say is, you know, Trump. He's dumb, but he's not stupid. Uh, yeah, and look, obviously there there are those sort of concerns, and because we're light on time, I did want to touch on briefly. Uh, I made a joke about it at the top of the show, but uh, there was this speech that he gave at West Point, and. There are two instances from it. One, he could not lift a glass of water. And uh, I had people get very upset with the, uh, the, what I said at the top of the show is a joke I also posted on Twitter. People yeah. uh, did not think that was very funny. It was a handful, uh, which made me know that it, it was. But then also he had trouble. Um, I'm going to say it. He waddled down that ramp and he needed help. And so there are those concerns uh, about his health. 
But of course, uh, you know, he made sure that we knew that it was a very slippery ramp, despite the fact, of course, that, you know, it was dry that day. So there, there's that level of concern, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how much that eats into, why do you think, Scott, I want to start with you because it's a polling question that we referenced this, this 11 point deficit and, you know, it's almost five months till the election. It's a little bit less than five months to the election. So uh, I, you can't even imagine what can change. Just think about five months ago when we were talking about the election in January, what we were talking about with the election. So obviously a lot can change, but if you had to, you know, it can't just be all of a sudden everybody's like, oh yeah, Trump's not a good president. What do you think <laughs> is specifically to blame? And again, it's Rasmussen. It's a friendly poll. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a hometown discount. And he's getting, he's down by 11 points in that. Yeah, I'll say, I actually watched uh, the Rasmussen poll during the Obama reelection because I wanted to see a Republican skewing poll to see how Obama was really doing. Um, you know, we have this myth in, in American culture that a president has to be virile and strong. And this goes all the way back, you know, uh, to Kennedy hiding all of his diseases and illnesses to all the generals that later ran for presidency, uh, for the presidency. And, and this is payback to bitch too. I mean, Trump was calling out Hillary Clinton in 2016 about her health. So this always is a thing. And I think that's, it's also gone to on the other side with Biden about his age, because we've gone from electing the oldest president ever in Donald Trump to now potentially electing an even older person ever as president. So health and, um, you know, strength, and that's all part of the, the myth of a, a president. Um, and then he plays right into it because he can't just let it go. So he has to you know, post about it and then turn it into a story because then I saw so many articles written about it because of the tweet. Um, so it is something that uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at. And, and like you said, the polls are really, if the election was held today, yeah, Donald Trump would be getting a landslide. However, he's got a long time to go and who knows what the next issue is going to happen to change things. I think it's been a spiral of events between the economy, COVID handling, and now everything going on with uh, Black Lives Matter that has just shown how incapable and apt he is with this happening all back to back to back at once. Whereas before he was able to kind of flip the script a lot easier and be able to try to you know distract and and he hasn't been able to do that as much now because these issues are in the forefront and people can see it. People can see when they're not working. You know, you can top how great the economy is reopening, but if you're not working and you can't pay your bills, that's something you can see. And like we said. This is the time where people start making decisions on how the economy is doing when they vote in the fall. If they're not feeling good now from where they were, that's going to start hardening their opinions and how they're going to vote. Christian, uh, can I offer a, a quick defense of Trump's waddling? Very quick, because I have one more question for you before we run out of time. Yeah, listen, maybe he wasn't unwell. When I waddle down a ramp, it's because I'm wearing stilettos, and maybe he was too. <laughs> you know, his, his lips. Yeah, that, that, you know what? Look. You know what? If that's what the reason is, I think that's going to open him up to a to a, a whole new uh, segment of the population. You know, what I wanted to touch on was the fact that look, it, it hasn't been a good couple of days for President Trump. Uh, you know, his Supreme Court uh, has failed him on two issues, which is the uh, you know upholding uh, LGBTQ rights for employees and also this uh, this challenge to California sanctuary laws. And keeping in mind, we really only have about a minute. Just uh, overall, Chelsea, sort of this, the way that the court ruled on these two issues, specifically the breakdown. I mean, Neil Gorsuch voting in favor of this LGBTQ rights is certainly not 
what uh, President Trump had in mind or, you know, the people who told him to appoint Gorsuch. Yeah, absolutely. And not only the fact that he voted with the opinion, but that he wrote the majority is Gorsuch a surprise. Uh, uh, you've been sitting on that the whole show. Yeah. I love that. Why, well, thank you. Thank you. I think the uh, the court is going to be pretty busy. I think we'll have a lot more to talk about uh, in, in the weeks ahead. Uh, Tamara, I want to give you a final thought uh, before we wrap up. Uh, I just want to say that the the whole ramp and the and the water glass thing. I hate things like that. I know you know this is a president that is probably the most hated president in in history, more so than any other. This isn't just another Republican uh, president. It's when we focus on the ramps and the water glasses and things like that, yes, it's therapeutic, but it's not doing Democrats any favors because these things really don't matter. It's only solidif- making his base more defensive of him. I wish that we would we would be better at letting those type of things go, even though it makes us feel great to focus on Look, what a uh, complete if, lunatic he is. If but... Joe Biden's dentures falling out in the debate are funny, this is funny too. I right. just, I, I, like, I, I, I look from a, I think a rational it, standpoint, it, it, it would right. do us, it would do us more, it would do us a more benefit if we would focus on the larger, more important things that he is fumbling, not, not walking down a ramp. And, and right. I know uh, I we be... need to. Well, that's, that's why we have shows. That the, that's why we have shows like meet the press. They can talk, meet the press can talk about it. Well, I was going to say the Lincoln Project was actually the one that really pushed it forward, which is that Republican splinter group. They're the ones that have been tweeting it and posting it and trolling him. So actually, it was because of them that he tweeted about it, and then it became a bigger thing. Uh, Al, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We'll have you back very soon. But uh, how can people keep in touch with you, uh, you know, uh, after the show's over? Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, And Christian, you can find me on IG at Algie underscore Jamaica House. That's A-L-G underscore Jamaica House. Hit me up. Uh, and uh, Chelsea, where can people find you? Uh, Chelsea Galicia. And Tamara. Hey, Tamara on Instagram. And Scott Moore fighting with Mitch McConnell. Where do they <laughs> find right. that? You'll find me fighting with him and trolling uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Twitter at SMAN80. That's SMAN80. Uh, and uh, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. And uh, Thursday over on the Popcorn Talk at the same time, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, talking Marvel movie news, which will be back. And uh, it's a slightly more lighthearted conversation than this. Uh, and uh, if you enjoyed last week's guest, Tehran, you can find he and I and our co-hosts on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after show at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. Uh, also here on AfterBuzz TV. That is all the time we have now. Thanks again to Ryan back in Mission Control. We will see everyone next Tuesday at 11 Pacific. Bye, everyone. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.